Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Deepak. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Very good. Yes, I'm in Delhi, and I have the chance to actually come to meet with Deepak, who is currently the Managing Director of SAIF Partners India. So... For those audience who've been asking for me about the India startup ecosystem, yes, I got my first guy. <laughs> Sorry, Deepak. <laughs> and I know you do this out of favor for me. So I wanted to talk to you and wanted to understand you better. I know you started off as a software engineer in your career. How did you get started in the first place? Sure. So uh, I did my mechanical engineering from IIT Kanpur. And after that, that was the time, 1999, 2000, when the whole IT services was on its boom. So I was very keen to try new technology, so I moved to IBM. I worked there for two years, but I also realized that I really wanted to focus on a larger scale of problems. And my skills in terms of working with people were far better than pure technology problem solving. So I took the easy way out and joined an MBA program. And after my MBA, I joined McKinsey. Where where do you do your MBA? Indian Institute of Management, Lucknow. So then after that, from IBM, you moved to McKinsey. Yes. And then to SAIF partners. So in McKinsey, you probably do consulting work, looking at the technology space. Any interesting career lessons you can share? In McKinsey, I worked uh, across industries, including technology. At that time, which is 2003 to 6 time frame, as such, the internet e-commerce economy didn't exist. So mostly it was IT services. I also worked across auto components, food and supply chain and other sectors. And overall, what I found, and that was my trigger for moving to investing, was that as a large consulting firm, the nature of problems I was focusing on was great, very impactful, but it was more about helping large companies solve their problems versus emerging companies taking on growth challenges. And India, as such, was really starting to grow 2004-05 onwards, and I wanted to be a very active part of that growth journey. And hence, I thought that why don't I move to investing where it would appear to be far more exciting, far more challenging. Also, uh, one big difference I saw between investing and consulting is that typically consulting engagements are of a shorter duration. So you are not there to see what actually happened in terms of your recommendations and not there for five, seven years to see the eventual outcome of what you were partnering with. But in investing, it's almost like a long-term partnership and you bear the fruit or pay the consequences of what you have done. From McKinsey, you come to SAIF Partners. How did you get into venture capital? I mean, different people have, in different parts of the world, have different ways of getting into venture capital. Most people go from the banking background, financial background in the Silicon Valley. Some people take Coffin Fellowship, some are former entrepreneurs. How do you end up doing venture capital? So uh, I would say I was quite lucky. That was the time when the industry was just starting to grow. And there was not an existing pool of professionals existing. So people were entering from different industries, either from investment banking or consulting. And I had a very good friend, Barber, who was already with Safe Partners. And he referred me here. I think that that's when I got my break. From doing consulting to venture capital, what are the differences you see when you work with startup founders? Do you actually have to take a different kind of lens to look at them because given startups are very different from big companies who you formerly consult from. So there are multiple differences Mm -hmm. and it was uh, almost a year of unlearning and then trying to learn what it takes. And, and, and the biggest difference is that when you're investing in early stage companies, 
the availability of data is very poor. So many times you are creating an industry, so there are no existing industry reports to rely on, on how large the market could be. There are no steady state assumptions that you can validate because it is being done for the first time. Finally, the importance of people in terms of starting out uh, the founders and the team background is, is such a big variable versus a mature or a large company where it is more processes, the opportunity and the business model. So, so that took a long while to understand the importance of these variables over just data. So you join SAIF Partners, maybe help my audience to understand what's the mission of SAIF Partners? I know it's a venture capital firm. What do they do? So we have been investing in India for more than 13 years now. Our genesis is that it started first as an Asia-focused fund headquartered out of Hong Kong. So we had a common pool of capital in the first three funds for investing in India, China and uh, in South Korea. Then the the team raised a separate India-dedicated fund in 2011, late 2010 early 2011, which was a 350 million fund just dedicated to India. Early last year, we raised another 350 million dollars focused on India. So our primary focus, so we have three investment streams. Bulk of the investment is made in early stage technology companies, which are riding the penetration of smartphones, the internet adoption, the consumer brands that are getting created in technology. We also do opportunistically consumer branded goods. Uh, and a portion of our fund is invested in public listed equities. But that is again very long horizon, fast growing companies are available at a reasonable price. So you talk about the stages of the fund, which the fund invests, and also the investment thesis of the fund itself. Is the fund geographic specific? Because I also understand from reading your website, SAIF partners also have a branch in China. So does the two funds invest differently and looking at different categories? So we started together. It was a common pool of capital. But as of today, they are separately raised fund. And uh, while we, we have great relationships with our China team, we cross-pollinate ideas, we reach out to them for any help. But operationally, on, on all other aspects, we are independent funds. So we save partners India invests only in India. So specifically, I think you mentioned some categories which you have already invested into, but let's dive deep into it. What are the categories of companies that the fund invest in like for example I've seen e-commerce logistics are there any verticals that you are looking into now Sure. So if you look at the penetration of smartphones and adoption of internet, which really took a long time to happen in India, is creating interesting opportunities across multiple areas. The first one is it is happening, it is helping in consolidating the fragmented marketplaces that exist across vertical. So if you look at real estate, travel, hotel, hospitality, furniture, across these verticals, India has historically had very fragmented supply chain. Most of our real estate is still done by brokers who are offline and now technology is helping create marketplaces which integrate all of them and bring onto a platform. So it is win-win because most offline providers get additional business development and customers get the ease of selection and, and search. So that's one big theme and that we are taking across categories from education, healthcare, real estate, travel, purchase, furniture, across all categories. Mm-hmm. The second theme that we are seeing is that historically there have not been very large brands that have been created in recent times. Most of the Indian brands are pretty old because the cost of distribution, the the infrastructure challenges that existed, takes a long time and and very large investments to create consumer brands. But for the first time, companies, with the help of technology, companies are able to create direct internet-only brands. So we have an investment in a 
furniture company called Urban Ladder, which would be amongst the largest furniture brands in the country. Uh, there is a hotel company called Trebo Hotels. So these are companies, or, or we had an apparel, we have an apparel company called Zovi, and these are companies which started online. There is no offline presence, and they are creating brands purely by the power of technology. So that is the second big theme that we are chasing. I think there's another theme which I've only been observing in the last couple of years because if everybody, when they talk about India, they think about the Infosys reliance, you know, the offshoring, outsourcing, and I think there's always this lamentation why hasn't the Silicon Valley emerged in India? Yes, it has it has started to emerge since I think 2013, 2014, but compared to China, it's 10 years behind. And I think part of it is the culture of people going to the large corporations. Has that culture of moving from corporations change to the startups? Because I've heard from Nuni Panel from Wall Street Journal who, who came on the show and he told me that, that India students after graduation now wants to work for startups and no longer for the big corporations. Exactly. I think that is the biggest change which has happened in the past two years. So if you look at historically, in fact, when I joined investing in 2006, most of the entrepreneurs were second generation founders. So who, were, who either had a business in the family or who were taking on a business from the family. And there were very few first generation entrepreneurs and that too, uh, very few people who had worked in large corporates or were just graduating out of college. They would typically not start out. In the last uh, three years, uh, by the value creation that has happened by the, by likes of Flipkart, Snapdeal, Make My Trade, Paytm, that has clearly demonstrated that first-generation entrepreneurs can create very disproportionate value in a short time frame. And for the first time, employees in technology companies have seen real cash through ESOPs. It always was given, but people had not seen their monetization. So. Those two factors combined, along with that, there has been a very healthy funding ecosystem, right from angel investors, from seed funds to growth stage funds, early stage funds like us, and late stage funds, including strategic investors. This has really cushioned the risk an individual takes when he wants to start out. All these three put together, for the first time we are seeing in last 12 months, that a very high number of people who are working in established marquee brand names are willing to join startups at senior to mid-level positions. We are seeing for the first time people working in very established companies or graduating out of college would prefer starting a company versus joining somebody else. So those two are very, very healthy for the ecosystem. So one thing I'm pretty curious is that India is a very big country with more than over a billion population, almost as big as China. And there are different cities like, for example, Calcutta, Delhi, Chennai and Mumbai. Where are the startup activity strongest in or is it very diffuse across these four cities? So it is mostly metros. In mm. fact, I would say four or five cities. So mm. Bangalore, Delhi, yeah. Bombay, Pune, mm. Hyderabad, mm. Uh, Chennai. So the, it almost 80% of it would be in these cities. It, it, between these two, between these cities, I would say it is more concentrated in favor of Bangalore and Delhi and CR, probably followed by Pune and Hyderabad. So it is reasonably concentrated today. And I think it makes sense because historically we don't have a bench of very strong technology, manpower or infrastructure. And hence, like most industries, it makes sense to have a cluster approach versus a very diffused approach because it will have become very difficult to attract top quality talent. Compared to the diversity of the country, it is concentrated. But compared to other global clusters, it is reasonably fragmented still. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to know what are the interesting companies in SAI portfolio. So I took a glance, and one of the most big ones is Paytm. 
weird. But maybe can you tell me a little bit about Paytm because I think my audience wouldn't know what Paytm is. But I know I know how important they are in the Indian ecosystem. What did they do? So Paytm had a very interesting journey. They started out initially when we invested as a pure mobile value added services provider, so which is working with telecom companies, monetize beyond voice revenue. So in terms of ringtones or providing alerts or uh, other uh, other features and with a revenue share model, so pure B2B model. That business was good, growing fast and profitable, but it suffered its own challenges of a B2B business which has concentrated customers. And, uh, and Vijay, uh, the founder who really, really is passionate about mobile and understands the space very well, saw it uh, coming and wanted to do something which is very B2C focused and also writes on what is happening on the smartphone penetration. So he created this app, Paytm, which used to be the platform for recharging all the prepaid mobile phones which exist in the country. So India, again, is unique in terms of bulk of the mobile phones are prepaid versus postpaid. And and you need to recharge them. And typically, given our ARPU levels, customers do not recharge at a high amount. So the frequency of transactions is very high. So he created a very seamless and slick interface to recharge your phones. That drew a lot of users and traffic and installs. And Vijay went mobile only versus people who would have historically done desktop because he really wanted to be forward-looking versus backward-looking. Then expanded to other things like DTH and bill payments and other categories. That ensured that people were developing trust on the platform because they were trusting the platform with money. Finally, when the wallet licenses opened up, he took a wallet license where people could store money and use that to uh, do the transactions they wanted. Meanwhile, the Indian e-commerce space had exploded in terms of Flipkart and Snapdeal and other players. And uh, Vijay saw an interesting opportunity where, unlike most players, he did not have to attract traffic because people were already coming to his uh, app to do other transactions. They were already storing money. And then he took the next leap of launching an e-commerce marketplace. So by a combination of money, the transactions that are being done and incentivizing to them to do transactions on the marketplace platform, he, he saw extremely rapid growth on that. And it, it served from multiple benefits compared to other incumbents because 60-70% of transactions in India in e-commerce are still cash on delivery. But while his transactions were driven by wallets, so it completely took away that friction, so made them more seamless. In fact, I do know that if you want to do any e-commerce, even for Western companies going into India, you need to go through Paytm. So it has really, really exploded. And now with the investment from Alibaba and and Alipay, it is in a unique spot where it is uh, riding on both the payment opportunity because given the fragmented base of vendors that exist as well as on the e-commerce market. So what about First Cry? So First Cry is a vertically focused player for everything to do with babies. So right from diapers, apparel, toys. And they have a very interesting model in terms of not just online presence, but also customized to the country in terms of having franchisee stores, where at least in geographically dispersed areas, if you want something quick, you can go to a store and buy. And uh, they have category leadership uh, in this space, growing well, and uh, created a very strong brand in that sector. In fact, I think it's the leading category player for, for babies. Yes. Not even Flipkart or yeah. Snapdeal so could get into that category. Yeah. So they have, in spite of all the capital being spent by other horizontals, they have held that leadership position. I also know that one of the founders of First Cry have actually spin out their logistics arm into ExpressBees. I think you're also an investor yes. as well. Yeah. So ExpressBees is a last mile delivery company. So historically, it was more a captive serving First Cry. But given the operationally tight model they had, 
and, and, and this capacity they had. They now serve multiple other clients. Yes, I, I thought it was interesting to mention that the two founders of First Cry, I think they worked together for almost, I think, four or five companies before they right. actually even get to this stage. Right. So they know each other very, very well. Yeah. I, I think now we are reaching a stage where all this is possible, where in your lifetime you can actually create multiple companies because horizons are shrinking yeah. and capital is available. And then they get all several entrepreneurs, they will reinvest ah. back into the ecosystem right. as well at some point. What other interesting companies after Paytm and First Cry? So one company that we invested in last year is, is Rivigo, mm. which is a logistics company for yeah. serving the e-commerce space. And uh, it, it has a very interesting model where they are able to provide air time, comparable timings, which is done by air shipping through road. And now they have taken that capability across multiple verticals, serving auto component players, serving uh, pharmaceutical players. They want to eventually do cold chain in other categories. And that's something given how fragmented the logistics supply base is in India. Over a long term, we believe can create a lot of value. From what I understand, it's actually very expensive to transport by flight. In fact, through, through trucks, I think you actually take it down by almost one-sixth of that cost. It is substantially cheaper, more than one-third, yeah. And uh, the other company which, uh, in terms of the brand that we're talking is, is again, Urban Ladder, which if you look at the furniture market, we do not have large brands that exist outside. It is a very, very fragmented market. Reliability, supply consistency, customer service is a big issue. And Urban Ladder has now created as the largest furniture brand in the country, growing very fast and like creating, they have amongst the highest, highest net promoter scores uh, that exist in the country. I guess since I'm here in Delhi, I might as well ask you some questions about the India startup ecosystem. So far, all the things I know about the India startup ecosystem come from people who are observing from the outside. So it's always good to have an insider to give me a sense of what really is going on. You you talk about a couple of trends have happened that actually lead to the ecosystem today. And I know that in the last two years, there's a, the volume of deals are actually larger, uh, 33% larger than China. But the valuation of the deals in India is actually less than what is valued in China. Given that there's so many unicorns and you know here, you hear all this unicorn talk from the US about that they are recalibration of market correction, do you see an overheating of the market in terms of the India so ecosystem? If you look at last 12 months, these uh, trends, I, I would definitely say the pendulum swung to the side of exuberance than uh, just a little bit more optimism, which meant that in, even in small spaces where market sizes are not large enough, far more companies got created than can actually survive or exist. And not just created, many of them got funded. What also happened is that having seen the success of multiple investors making money, right from angel to late stage, the amount of capital or the number of deals started going up, which resulted in valuations going up significantly ahead of time. So I would say that next 12 months is definitely a time for consolidation. Uh, consolidation in terms of number of players that exist in every vertical, also in terms of business models. So even because the capital was very easily available, every company was expanding across multiples offerings versus focusing on their core or taking it one step at a time. Mm. And I see most of the companies now going back to the basics in 12 months mm. and prioritizing capital efficiency. Usually the art of investment is that you also look at verticals that don't seem obvious and then you go into into that. So even if the market overheats, you still can look into other new categories. I mean, we're going to start talking about self-driving cars, we're going to start talking about VR, AR, we're going to start talking about all these new internet of things, which is much more recognizable in the Indian market. Is there an expanded view that you can actually invest into rather than now? Because I think a lot of the overheating is only in the e-commerce 
yes. market. So there are there the other markets where you can still see see growth and investments in? Definitely. So many verticals or or new spaces, even not just emerging areas, but areas which have become substantially larger in US and China, are still very nascent in India. So financial technology is one such space. So fintech, the very few fintech based companies in India, most of them are pretty small, and and that is an area given the size of the economy and the importance of finance is not yet disrupted at all. So that is one big theme for us. The other big theme is that there are very few companies which have married healthcare and technology. So Practo is an example, probably the only one which has achieved a certain scale. Uh, others companies are still very small and uh, we, there is no reason why such a large market uh, which has so many inefficiencies and challenges should not get disrupted or helped by technology. So that is another theme that uh, most of us are looking at. Uh, similarly, education. Traditionally, a very tough market to change by technology, but the importance that we, as as a country, place on education, uh, we are yet to see significant dents made in it by the impact of technology. The the other big theme which that uh, is emerging uh, going forward is is the whole content space. So, for example, like this podcast now, uh, or uh, people reading news on their mobile phones or watching video on the mobile phones, and this is really held by the regional diversity that exists in languages in the country. So we will see both national players primarily focused on Hindi and English, but also very strong regional players focused on different languages, which will come out and still very small. So there are four or five big themes beyond the, uh, I would say, really, really emerging like VR and IoT and others, which is again the third horizon. I think even in the core bulk, we still haven't done a lot. I've been asking you a lot about companies, ecosystems, but I forgot one important question to ask you. What kind of founders do you invest in? So we uh, invest in founders who are really passionate about a problem they're solving. So one of the core reasons that we really uh, push hard to understand is that why they are solving the problem they're solving. Is it because companies are getting funded in that space, it is something that they believe is easily replicable, or they believe that it's a genuine problem and they have the skill set and passion to solve it. The other thing that we look at is how complementary is the founding team and how open are founders to bring complementary people on the team going forward because Clearly, for a faster scale-up, uh, it is important that they are able to add team at, at, at a rate and have people who can run independently. Uh, I think those two are most important uh, parameters. And finally, third, which only time can tell, is very tough to judge, is, is just it typically takes longer in India to get done stuff done than what it takes in other countries. So what is the persistent and staying power if, if the cycle turns, if, if there is a one or two year period where things are not going well, would you stay put or would you say it's not working out? So what do you hope to see in the next five years in the ecosystem? I mean, barring just from outside, what the outside world sees it, you know, all these about valuation going up and etc. What do you think would happen in the next five years within the ecosystem itself, like consolidation? So I would say the next one to two years would be consolidation. And then we would have, in next five years, the first trend we would see is that most large players would have eventually settled on a business model where unit economics makes sense yeah. or have now started working, at least in uh, large parts of their business versus maybe they are doing investments in emerging businesses, but in the core business, unit economics have to work in that time frame. Otherwise, we have a problem. Do you foresee the bigger players like the Tata Group and Infosys to come into this space as well like the way how some of these big companies like Foxconn is now investing into its own Taiwanese ecosystems or even the Chinese players as well like the BATs 
So it is quite possible. I think both things are possible. They could start their companies on their own. So I know of Aditya Builder Group has started a fashion-focused online company. Uh, or they could become very active investors. And mm-hmm. I think that would be very healthy for the ecosystem. Because, because they provide the exits. They provide the exits, they provide the capital, plus they also provide the uh, stability and understanding of the local uh, environment, regulation and, uh, and execution, which many times young founders might not have. Uh, also, they can provide uh, a strong, particularly after a certain scale, when you need stable management, they can be uh, they can be very helpful in attracting that kind of talent. But it is, I would say, very early in very early stages. You reckon it like it's like China ten years ago Probably. about that about that period, you know, when the BAT is just about to emerge, and you see that whole period of time growth. So overall, yes, uh, I mean, we really feel that next five ten years would be very, very positive. There can be a one-year slowdown or consolidation, but the trends are just so strong mm. that it has to really accelerate. Thank you so much, Ipa, in trying to help me to understand the India ecosystem. So, what, my last question, how do my audience find you? So, I'm on Twitter, uh, three and LinkedIn, so uh, I'm reachable at both. Plus, uh, I have my, I mean, people can reach me on email, deepak at safepartners.com. I'll definitely put in the show notes so that they can reach you. I mean, for Indian startups, I think they want to know where, how to look for you. Okay. Yeah, you can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia, at Twitter. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And please drop me your feedback. Like all, the, all of you have been asking me to talk about the Indian ecosystem. Yes, we, I'll be continuing on that. So once again, Deepak, Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Bernard.